welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Look upon us, O God, Creator and Ruler of all things, and that we may feel the working of your mercy, grant that we may serve you with all our heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down now, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have apostatized. They have been quick to leave the way I marked out for them. They have made themselves a calf of molten metal, and have worshipped it and offered it sacrifice. Here is your God, Israel, they have cried, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I can see how headstrong these people are. Leave me. Now my wrath shall blaze out against them and devour them. Of you, however, I will make a great nation. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your wrath blaze out against this people of yours, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with arm outstretched and mighty hand? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom by your own self you swore and made this promise, I will make your offspring as many as the stars of heaven, and all this land which I promised I will give to your descendants, and it shall be their heritage forever. So the Lord relented and did not bring on the people the disaster he had threatened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will rise and go to my father. I will rise and go to my father. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offence. I'll wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. I will rise and go to my father. A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. I will rise and go to my Father. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. My sacrifice is a contrite spirit, a humbled, contrite heart you will not spurn. I will rise and go to my Father. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, and who has judged me faithful enough to call into his service, even though I used to be a blasphemer, and did all that I could to injure and discredit the faith. Mercy, however, was shown me, because until I became a believer, I had been acting in ignorance, and the grace of our Lord filled me with faith and with the love that is in Christ Jesus. Here is a saying that you can rely on, and nobody should doubt, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I myself am the greatest of them, and if mercy has been shown to me, 
It is because Jesus Christ meant to make me the greatest evidence of his inexhaustible patience for all the other people who would later have to trust in him to come to eternal life. To the eternal King, the undying, invisible and only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. God was in Christ to reconcile the world to himself, and the good news of reconciliation he has entrusted to us. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The tax collectors and the sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man among you, with a hundred sheep losing one, would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? And when he found it, would he not joyfully take it on his shoulders and then, when he got home, call together his friends and neighbours? Rejoice with me, he would say. I have found my sheep that was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over ninety-nine virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Or again, what woman with ten drachmas would not, if she lost one, light a lamp and sweep out the house and search thoroughly till she found it? And then, when she had found it, call together her friends and neighbours. Rejoice with me, she would say, I have found the drachma I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing among the angels of God over one repentant sinner. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that would come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he had spent it all, that country experienced a severe famine and now he began to feel the pinch. So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants who put him on his farm to feed the pigs, and he would willingly have filled his belly with the husks the pigs were eating. But no one offered him anything. Then he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's paid servants have more food than they want? And here am I dying of hunger. I will leave this place. And go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your paid servants. So he left the place and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms and kissed him tenderly. Then his son said, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we'd been fattening and kill it. We're going to have a feast. A celebration. Because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, the eldest son was out in the fields and on his way back. As he drew near the house, he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. Your brother has come, replied the servant, and your father has killed the calf we had fattened because he's got him back safe and sound. He was angry then and refused to go in. And his father came out to plead with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his women, you kill the calf we'd been fattening. The father said, my son, you are with me always and all I have is yours. But it was only right that we should celebrate and rejoice. Because your brother here was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so it's quite a long gospel this week. Um, we've heard three parables. It's a triple whammy. We've got the parable of the lost sheep and the shepherd, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. Or if you like, the parable of the lost son. Although including all three stories into one single gospel passage makes the reading long, I think it's pretty clear that these three stories, they, they hang together. They all speak about the dramatic lengths to which the shepherd, the woman, and the father go in order to recover what was lost. I'm guessing we probably know the parable of the prodigal son the best. But I want to take a short moment to look at the first two stories. Because Jesus begins the parable with a rather strange rhetorical question. What man among you with a hundred sheep losing one would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? If you stop and think about it, it's a rather strange question. You see, rhetorical questions can be a powerful tool in speech. But they really function by drawing attention to the obvious. The answer to a rhetorical question should be just so plain and immediate that it makes your point for you. But I suspect that Jesus was really the only one in the crowd who thought that the answer to this rhetorical question was obvious. What man among you with a hundred sheep losing one would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? I mean, if you or I were the shepherd of the hundred head of sheep, would we really leave the ninety-nine to go look for the one? Let's face it, that one, <laughs> it's a fairly troublesome and disobedient sheep. You're probably going to go have to look for it again tomorrow. 
Well, this question in many ways actually kind of defies common sense. Would you do it? I probably wouldn't bother. But Jesus puts the question out there as if the answer was so very obvious. When in fact, for most of us, the answer's probably no. (laughs) I'd stick with the 99 good, healthy, obedient sheep. And perhaps, maybe even be quietly content that this sheep, which was such a bad influence on the rest of the flock, had finally got what it deserved. I think in the cold calculating mathematics of the situation, being forced to choose between gaining one versus risking 99 isn't too much of a conundrum. They're bad odds. And the shepherd that Jesus is describing is either a little bit crazy or he's bad at maths. What man among you with a hundred sheep losing one? would not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it. Well, for starters, me, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) And it gets even more curious because Jesus says that once the shepherd has found the sheep, he's happy. And when he found it, says the Lord, would he not joyfully take it on his shoulders Surely the shepherd could at least have the good sense to be annoyed. All that effort and energy spent looking for and then carrying back that sheep. Back to the other 99. I'd be complaining about all the time I'd lost. And I don't think I'd be too impressed with that stupid sheep. I mean, really. The shepherd's flock has just increased by 1%. And he's getting ready to rejoice with his neighbours. There's a similar kind of dynamic going on in the parable about the woman with the lost drachma. Now, we're talking about a tiny coin here. It's not like she's lost a $100 bill. No, it's more like a few cents. She loses this coin. So she lights a lamp, sweeps out the house until she finds it. And then, when she does find it, this crazy woman gathers her friends around and throws a party. Because she's found a couple of cents that she lost. It's bizarre. And Jesus tells these two parables about the lost sheep and the lost drachma. As if they were seemingly obvious. The Lord almost appears oblivious to how nuts the shepherd and this woman really seem to be. Nuts, at least, according to the cold calculation of us sinners. What Jesus is revealing to us is the divine calculation. This is God's logic. The father is like the crazy woman sweeping up the house for the lost drachma. God is the shepherd searching for the lost sheep. God goes to lengths which to us seem extreme. He's got to be bad at maths. He invests far more effort than the payoff seems worth. One pesky sheep? One lousy drachma? Why bother? We'd cut our losses and get on with life. And certainly if we did decide to go to the lengths of the woman and the shepherd, I don't imagine we'd rejoice quite so much. 
with a certain degree of irritability we might return in order to punish the sheep and teach it a lesson for having caused such trouble. Well, Jesus gives this third parable to learn the extravagance of God's divine calculations. We might call this the parable of the lost son because it comes in succession with the lost sheep and the lost drachma. Now, it's a parable that we all know well, but there's always a new aspect that can be gleaned from each reading. And one thing that we can see here is that the return of the lost son goes some way to help understand the father's maths. We're not just talking about a bothersome sheep or a lousy drachma. This time it's a son. Far more painful and distressing than a lost sheep to a shepherd. Far more precious than a lost drachma to a nutty woman. His poor father has to put up with a son who wishes to live his life as if his father were already dead. He lives his life at a great distance from his father. And there's a deep suspicion in this son that all these years his father was holding him back from true happiness and that his fulfilment could only be found by rebelling from his household and fleeing the embrace of his father. Well, we all know the story. We know what happens. But notice the father here. He's waiting. He's looking for his son and spots him from a far off distance. Don't you get the feeling that he's been waiting in that same spot for years for his son to return? Now, his reaction is one of sheer extravagance. Put a ring on his finger, a cloak on his back and sandals on his feet. This man is my son. Beneath the filth and despite the pain he's caused, he's my son. Here we find the highest and most noble expression of fatherhood. And although we may struggle to understand and to perhaps imitate the example and extravagance of the father in the parable, we can at least appreciate his sheer joy and relief that his son who was lost has now been found. Now we can start to understand the logic of the first two parables. The father of the prodigal son has the same reaction as the shepherd with his sheep and the woman with the drachma. There's rejoicing. And this is God's mathematics. For the father of the prodigal son, the sacrifice and effort of his extravagant forgiveness is worth having his son back. For the woman with the drachma, it was worth sweeping out the house to find the coin. For the shepherd with the 99 sheep, it's worth the effort to search for and carry home the lost sheep. There's no question. It's a no-brainer. Adopting God's mathematics, Jesus asks us his rhetorical question. What man among you with a hundred sheep losing one would not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? We have here a simple articulation of our preciousness in the eyes of the Father. 
No one is beyond redemption. The shepherd never stops searching for the lost sheep. The woman never stops sweeping. And the father never stops scanning the horizon for the return of his son. You know what? We might have given up on ourselves, applying our own cold human mathematics. But divine logic confounds our own calculations. And in all of this, we can see a glimpse of the love of the Father. And perhaps we can imagine how it is that he waits for us. For us to come to him, to return to him. How he waits for us, perhaps in the confessional. I suspect that a lot of people shy away from the sacrament of confession. Or at the very least are extremely nervous in approaching the confessional. Because we've got too much of the cold logic of humanity. That kind of sterile calculation. This sheep's either not worth worrying about, or even if the shepherd does want it back, he's going to punish it and make it fall into line. But what Jesus reveals to us is the divine calculation. With great patience, tenderness, and love, the Father beckons us to be reconciled with him. He waits with the yearning of the Father for the prodigal son. And when we come to him, he places on our hand the ring which restores us to divine sonship. He clothes us with the mantle of divine grace. And he strengthens us for the journey of life by placing sandals on our feet. I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.